You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network. Welcome back to The Way Home Podcast, my friends. Glad to have you here for another episode. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you do, I want to encourage you to rate and review it on iTunes and to spread the word. Before we get to our conversation, I just want to tell you about two important things. Uh, One, my new book, Away With Words, Using Our Online Conversations for Good, is out and available wherever you buy books. Perhaps you're reading it now. If you are, I'd love to uh, hear what you think about it and possibly write a review on Amazon. But if you have not gotten it, you can go to awaywithwordsbook.com and there's links to all your favorite retailers, Amazon, Christian Book, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, And don't forget independent bookstores. It's all available there. Would love for you to pick up a copy of that. Also, I would love for you to sign up for my newsletter. It's called One Little Word, and it goes out about every two weeks. And I have fresh content in there that you haven't found anywhere. Original stuff, not found in any of my articles or book chapters or anything like that. And I talk about all sorts of things from history to ideas on leadership, to some things I'm learning in the scriptures, kind of an eclectic collection of ideas that I'll send out in there. Also, you'll get updates on my latest projects and links to my latest work, wherever it is around the web or publications and what I'm reading. I'll put in there the books that are on my book stack. So if you like that sort of thing, please go to my website, danieldarling.com and sign up for one little word. I'd love to have you as part of that community. We've got a great guest in store today for you. Bible teacher, historian, apologist, and renowned scholar Alistair McGrath is joining us today all the way from the UK. He is just someone whose work I've always admired. He's one of these folks who's kind of a polymath. He has written a systematic theology. He's written a history of the King James Version. He's written a biography of J.I. Packer, which I'm going to ask him about. He's written several biographies of folks like Richard Dawkins and C.S. Lewis, and he's a prolific writer, a great thinker. I asked him about his new book called Born to Wonder. Really, he's pressing the gospel into the questions of the age and talking about the main criticisms that people have of Christianity. So we get into some of that. I ask him how apologetics has changed since when he first began his ministry. He talks a little bit about his own journey. Uh, He was a skeptic, and then he read many of the folks like C.S. Lewis and others who started as skeptics and became Christians. I also ask him about his experience with J.I. Packer and what Packer means for the church having just lost uh, Packer, just his recollections of, of him. And as always, I ask him why he writes and what his secret is and what why he likes to do it and what encouragement he would give to young scholars today, to young writers, and to those doing apologetics work. You're going to like this conversation with Dr. Alistair McGrath. I'm so glad to have uh, Dr. Alistair McGrath back here on the Way Home podcast. Alistair, thanks for joining me today. Well, Dan, it's great to be a part of the program. So I want to talk about a few things. You've got a new book out that really answers some of the deepest questions that people have about the Christian faith. But before we do that, I just want to ask you some questions about how you and 
the church and kind of the academy are doing during this kind of interesting time in the middle of a global pandemic? Yeah, it's really interesting. I cannot um, meet my students. I cannot speak to them face to face. I can't lecture to them. Everything's being done remotely. And I have to say it's, it's very efficient, but it's very, very strange. And you miss the face-to-face interaction. I mean, one of the things that really strikes me is the Bible's emphasis on the face of God. You know, it's all about, Mm -hmm. you know, encounter, contact. I'm not getting that. It it is a very, very strange feeling. Yeah, it is an interesting time. And it does seem too, and I don't know if you're seeing this in the UK, but we're sensing it in the United States where, you know, a lot of the things that make society flourish, the the kind of little gatherings and little associations and little things we do that we don't even think about, you know, birthday parties and church small groups and even class, you know, teaching in class and, or seeing, seeing, you know, if you're in an academy running into students around the university or having them pop into your office, like all those things are missing right now in many parts of the world. And I, it does seem like it's having an impact on kind of the way that we, on our society, maybe making us appreciate more the kind of, uh, way as you said we're created to have embodied friendships and fellowships it's almost as if we're in exile you know we, we're away from people we love we're away from our church buildings and we're looking to go back but it's not going to happen yet uh, not here in the uk anyway so it's a very strange feeling but we we live in hope uh, and uh, i'm sure we can learn something from this experience and grow through it yeah when you uh, assess you know the church right now there's a lot of tensions there is here in the united states but probably very similar in the UK, a lot of tensions are pressing in on the church from COVID to racial tension. In the US, we're having an election. I know in the UK, there are political tensions. This is an interesting time for the church right now. What are you seeing over there in terms of things that are pulling people apart? Is, is this a difficult season for church leaders and pastors and, and anyone in, in those kinds of positions? I think it is a difficult time. I mean, many church pastors find that you know, they cannot really function as pastors without actually meeting people. They can give sermons online, they can lead worship online, but it's just not the same. And they, they feel they can't exercise leadership in broader societies. There's a real issue there. And when people are locked up with each other, you know, which we are in the UK at the moment, I mean, it's actually quite difficult to get out and meet people. So tensions are building all the time and people are wondering what it's going to look like on the far side of this. Mm, that's good. So uh, you, you have a brand new book out on, you know, some of the deepest questions that people have about life and about God and, and things. It's called Born to Wonder, Exploring Our Deepest Questions. Why are we here and why does it matter? You're a bit of a polymath in that you have written and explored a wide variety of topics from church history to biography. But really, these kinds of questions have been at the center of of your life. What is it about these questions that continues to arrest you and and want to kind of talk about these things to uh, another generation? Yes, that's a really good question. I guess the simplest answer is because they brought me to faith in the first place. Because, see, I've been an atheist. I was quite an aggressive atheist and felt that science answered all our questions. And I began to realize, actually, this, this wasn't really right. And one of the things that 
made this clear to me, this deep sense I had within me that had to be more to life than what science was telling me. And, you know, obviously that just might be about denying science, but I didn't think it was. I think the saying science has its limits and there's something that lies beyond science I haven't yet discovered. And so it was really helpful and important to me in discovering what Christianity was all about. And so I guess I'm working on the assumption that question might be important to other people as well. So I want to explore with them about this deep sense within us. Actually, that, that there's more to life than science is able to tell us. And once we discover that, once we go through that doorway, then everything looks different. So for me, it's a very important issue to talk about. Mm. And you've, you've kind of followed in the trajectory of some of the great skeptics turned believers, you know, in history, you've written biographically about C.S. Lewis, for instance, and have followed his trajectory. You've also written about people like Richard Dawkins, who were skeptics, but didn't make that turn toward faith. Does it seem now that we are in an age where more people are questioning the claims of Christianity in places that they weren't? Or do you think there's a new, fresh willingness to engage Christianity, embrace it? Uh, you know, Charles Taylor calls this a secular age. In your mind, what? how do you see this generation compared to maybe when you were young and skeptical about Christianity? I think when I was young, I was skeptical about Christianity because it was the one of the dominant worldviews. I think what I see now is people are skeptical about most things. They're actually this real questioning of everything, not just, um, you know, Christianity. I mean, I do see people, for example, questioning Richard Dawkins. You know, who is this guy to talk to us? I mean, isn't he patronizing us? I mean, where does he get his ideas from? Isn't he actually just a kind of way, a new kind of religious dogmatist? I mean, it's very interesting. I think Christianity has has to be able to engage this. And one of the things I found really helpful is the, you know, the very famous phrase in John's gospel, I come that you may have life in all its fullness, because in effect, this is bringing out the aspect of Christianity that is so important to me, which is it, it opens up life, it makes new things possible. It in effect intensifies the quality of our lives. I mean, it's more to luck to Christianity than that, but that's really important, I think, in our present situation. We need to be mm. able to show the difference Christianity makes to people. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I love about what you do, and I, I find a little bit of this in the work of folks like Tim Keller, is that, you know, sometimes I feel like Christians, you know, our tendency can be to be defensive when skeptics are asking questions. You know, why are we here? How do you know God is real? If there's a good God, how come there's all this suffering and evil? And kind of get defensive, but there's a sense in which what you're doing and what I see guys like Keller doing is turning that question back on people who are skeptics, like your current worldview, what answers does it have about these questions of life? Maybe maybe share a word to Christians who are talking to skeptics about some of these these things. I really like that question. I think there's a natural tendency on our part to see a question as a threat. Hey, this guy's asking me, how can you be a Christian when there's suffering in the world? Oh, what do I do? See it as an opportunity. This guy is inviting me to um, talk about my faith. And you might say something like, well, look, I can't, I can't really go into this in huge detail, but let me tell you something. This really helps me going, keep going when I'm going through suffering. It gives me hope. It means I'm not on my own. It means there's a God who loves me, who journeys with me. And I find that really changes everything. And okay, it hasn't answered all the questions, but it's got a good conversation going. So I want to 
and we listen to this to think about doing is to plant seeds to in effect say look um maybe you haven't thought of it like this but look at it this way do you see it makes a difference and try and help people go away feeling oh i've got something to think about there don't feel threatened just say this guy is very kindly give me a chance to, to talk about my faith do but the difference your faith makes, you may be able to answer all their questions, but what you can say is, hey, I don't, don't know the answer to that really, but what I can do is say, this changed my life, and here's the difference it makes. That's really good. And it, it's interesting because it does seem the questions people have today, that headline, this new book that you're writing, you know, why am I here? What am I on earth here for? Uh, all that really are, are not new questions. It seems like these are the age-old questions that, humans have asked since the dawn of civilization, right? I mean, if you even if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, that's essentially, it's essentially answering those questions. So does that surprise you that today you find people asking the very same questions that you were asking when you were a young skeptic? I think the answer is no. I think, you know, I take the view that we bear God's image. That means if you like, you have a kind of homing instinct for God. And it means we, we ask these questions because we sense they matter. And we also sense some of the very glib answers our culture is giving, for example, Richard Dawkins, don't work. And so what we need to do, I think, is take these questions really seriously and try and help people see how you know how we can answer and here's a really important point i think i mean very often people say how do you defend the existence of god in place of suffering and say well look maybe i can't give you a full answer what i can tell you is the difference this makes to me because people in these days are actually very often moving away from saying prove it to say tell me the difference this makes if i were to believe this what difference would it make and so I think it's very important for people to have answers to that kind of question. You know, what difference does my faith make to my life? What would I single out as being the really important things about my faith and the difference it makes to my life? People can relate to that very easily. Yeah, you know, that's really good. And yet there's, there's one aspect, I think, about the current kind of environment for religion that might be a little bit different than maybe when you were asking questions maybe a generation ago. It does seem there's a there's a more of a hostility to Christianity where maybe people once dismissed Christianity now they see it as dangerous. Are are you finding that as well? Like just more open hostility, and what do you make of that? I think I do see hostility on the part of certain people. I'm not sure if it's a general cultural trend, but certainly there are some very loud voices. One of the things I've noticed about our culture is that loud and aggressive voices get noticed. I think that's probably one of the reasons why seeing this polarization, that the people in the middle kind of are getting squeezed out by very loud voices on the extreme. So I think that's a real problem. And I think that what we need to do is to ask this question, why are they so frightened of Christianity? And part of the answer is because people are, are like C.S. Lewis used to be, they're frightened that actually this is right. And if it's right, it will change their lives and they don't want to go there. So very often their atheism is a facade to keep God away. And that was certainly what Lewis felt, that he was, in effect, asserting atheism as a way of keeping God at a distance because he did not want to be transformed by God. So very often behind the aggressive facade is a questioning person. And maybe we can be the people who help that person to see what this is all about. That's really good. You know, I think of the, the psalm that says a, a fool has said in his heart, there is no God at the end of the day. And I'd love for you to explain this. It does seem like 
most reject Christianity, not necessarily because it's a head issue, but because it's a heart issue that there's something going on there. But yet at the same time, there are many who like yourself and like C.S. Lewis, who are persuaded by a rational discussion of the evidence and the facts and the reasoning behind it. So explain how the head and the heart work toward conversion and toward seeing the truth. I like that question. In my own case, I could see problems with Christianity as an atheist. But the deepest problem was, well, so what? I mean, if there is a God, what's just like saying there's an extra moon flying around planet Saturn or something? It makes no difference to me at all. And the issue I could not understand is how faith in God is transformative, why it is such a big deal. And of course, the, the real answer there is because people didn't didn't talk to me about the difference that Christianity made to them. In other words, they would talk about maybe head issues, but not heart issues. And I think that's one of the things that I'm very glad you've raised, because we do need to be able to be like Pascal, who said, look, you know, the heart has its reasons that the, the re- that reason doesn't know about, that we need to be aware. Christianity does connect up with us at much deeper levels. And if we simply look at the rational side of things, we are missing out on part of the fundamental appeal of the gospel. One of the things I've tried to do in my pastoral ministry is encourage people to go to counseling, whether you're feeling depressed or struggling with anxiety or maybe just working through a difficult relationship issue in your marriage or with your children. Counseling is really important. This is why I'm very excited about my friends at Faithful Counseling. What I like about Faithful Counseling is that you can go online to the website and you can fill out a form with some really good questions and they will match you up within 24 hours with a counselor suited to your needs. This is counseling that is biblical, that also understands the the clinical and chemical sides of what ails us and what plagues us as, as people. And it's fully confidential. One of the things I like about online counseling is that sometimes there's a stigma for us to get in our car and go to a office building or inside a church that sometimes is a barrier for us to go get help, the help that we need. We feel like we're performing in front of somebody or letting people know that we have an issue. With faithful counseling, online counseling, uh, you'll be matched up with a counselor within 24 hours. If you don't like the counselor that you've been matched up with, you can change with with no charge and it's all in the confidentiality of your own home you also have 24-hour access to your counselor and you get responses uh, within 24 to 48 hours i just really think this is a great resource so if you are someone that really knows that you need to go get some counseling or you want to talk with somebody about a situation in your family in your life please check out my friends at faithful counseling go to faithfulcounseling.com slash way home that's faithfulcounseling.com slash way home and if you do that you'll get a 10 percent off discount on your first month but please do check out faithfulcounseling.com slash way home As I mentioned before, you've been a bit of a polymath. You've worked on a lot of different projects from apologetic work, systematic theology, also work, biographical works. You know, you did a history of the King James Version. Your interests seem to 
kind of lie in a lot of different areas. What motivates you to, to write these projects? Is it, is it um, a newfound interest or a new thing or new opportunity? Like what, what kind of piques your interest when you're going to decide to embark on a project? I think it's, I, I read very widely. I'm, I'm very restless. So I, you know, I read all mm-hmm. of the place. And every now and then I say, this is really interesting. I'm, uh, and maybe other people would find it interesting and helpful as well. So very often when I write a, a biography or a book about something, I'm saying, I found this. It's really interesting. It actually has helped me. Will it help you? Do you find this? Let me try and explain this to you. And so I've written about C.S. Lewis. I've written about J.I. Packer. I've written about lots of people, all of whom I find interesting. And really, if you like, it's about trying to share something I've found in case it might be helpful to somebody else as well. Yeah, that, that's cool. And that leads me to a question you know, recently we lost J.I. Packer, and uh, I know you've written a biography of Packer, and you were very close to him. One of the things that struck me about him, and I, I heard him say this, I think it was in the biography that Leland Riken did, that someone asked him why, you know, Packer was so prolific with all of his writing, you know, up until his death. They said, you know, what, how did you write so much? And he basically said, well, they asked me to. <laughs> And so the idea that he took every opportunity to speak and write, but his passion to do this for the church, to write theology for the church, maybe talk a little bit about how Packer shaped you and kind of his his legacy and his influence. Well, I got to know Packer, um, obviously through his books in the 1970s, but it wasn't until, uh, I think it was 1991, I first really got to meet him and talk with him properly. And that was, um, basically, we were on a coach journey together for three hours between Oxford and Cambridge. We hadn't planned to meet. We just did. He, he was going to Cambridge to give a lecture. I was going to Cambridge to give a different lecture. We had three hours together. And he told me all about his life and theology, what motivated him. And I suddenly realized how interesting he is. I started to read and research him more. And then said to him, look, Jim, do you mind if I write your biography? Because there's so much here that needs to be told. That was back in the 1990s. And I think really is interesting. I mean, uh, he, he's very good at theology, but he's also very good at the link between theology and spirituality. And that's about head and heart. You see, that's a point you made very forcefully a few moments ago. And for Packer, that was really important, that the theology that does not speak to the heart and transform the heart has actually failed to do its job. And so I find that in Packer really interesting. He he is a theologian, but he's not an ivory tower theologian. He's someone who is in the church. He's speaking to other Christians. He's trying to help them grow in their faith. And I find that very exciting as a writer. Yeah. I mean, I'm starting to reread some of his works, and it strikes me that some of the battles that Packer was fighting or the issues he was addressing in his day, you know, things like inerrancy, things like a lot of the doctrinal issues that were being debated. It seems like those are still some of the issues that evangelicals are talking about today. And so his work will kind of last into into that issue, but into that era. But his desire to just take the opportunities God put in front of him and, and, and write and speak till, you know, he couldn't anymore and do it for the church is really a great model. And you know, when I look at your career as well, you, you seem to really want to just do as much as you can in order to equip the church in this generation. I, I guess I, was, I would ask you, in what ways do you kind of see your career similar to Packers? In what ways is it different? And, and kind of maybe speak about that a little bit. Well, we are similar. I mean, I think both of us think theology is really important, but it has to relate to the church. It has to be about mm-hmm. helping Christians to grow in their faith. And Packer and I, I mean, we, we we both see ourselves as 
people who are part of the people of God, who journey with everybody else and try and help them see things we have seen, not standing above them, but actually being part of the community of faith. So I think that, that is very important. Um, I share some of Packer's key ideas. One of them is the past can help us. Jim felt the Puritans were really, really helpful. And he said, look, they're not dead. They're alive. They speak to us. And I find that very, very helpful. Also, I, I really resonate with his late concern, which was the whole importance of what he called catechesis. In other words, making sure Christians really do their faith, because he was worried that Christians actually were too much into their heart and not enough into their head. <laughs> and so wanted to make sure Christian could talk about what they believed and why. And I'm with them on that one as well. And I think the other thing I would just say is that um, when Packer went to Regent College in Vancouver, I mean, he attracted a huge number of students. And part of it was this integration of the head and the heart in the mm. Christian life. And Packer just gave these students ways of deepening their faith um, at both those levels. So I think it was really very, very important. And I'm sure there are others who will be doing that in the future as well. Mm. That is seems to be really important. And I think about this as it applies even to like um, our seminaries and our colleges, Christian institutions, and even the church at some level, like how do we teach in a way that, that awakens the heart and the head? You know, how do we do these things? I, I'm curious what advice you would give to Christian academics that are trying to do that. I think I would say to Christian academics who are trying to do this, that you need to ask, if this thing I believe is right, for example, the doctrine of the Trinity, the idea of the incarnation, the idea of the atonement, if that's right, what difference does it make? How does it actually engage not just what you think, but your heart and your life? What difference does it make? And actually, those questions can be answered very well but we need to get the answers and get them into your sermons because otherwise people are saying, well, where do we go from here? You need to tell them, show them where to go with this. That's really good. What work would you give to pastors, you know, pastoring in this anxious age uh, with people asking the questions that you're addressing in, in this new book? Well, I, th I think I would say that we're not on our own. And there are lots of other people who are engaging these questions. Uh, I've talked about C.S. Lewis briefly. He is very, very good on this. He opens mm -hmm. um, mere Christianity by talking about these kind of questions. Jim Packer is good. Tim Keller is great. You know, there, there are loads of people. What I would say is it's always helpful to, in effect, have read a number of people, not because you're slavishly following them, but because you might find them helpful. And so you can say, as Tim Keller says, or as Dorothy L. Sayers says, or as Jim Packer says, you know, it, it helps your congregations, but it also helps you because you're able to articulate these really important ideas and help people see where they can go with this, how they can grow in their faith. So I think what you need to do is to say, I'm going to read these guys with a view of quarrying them, finding finding the bits in them that are going to be really helpful to my ministry and to my preaching. Do you think evangelism and apologetics has changed? You know, should our approach change now versus you know, a generation ago, uh, what what advice would you give along those lines? I think it is changing. Um, I mean, when I read older books of apologetics, they're very much about rational defenses of the Christian faith. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. And that was probably what needed to be done in the 1960s. But what I see now is without giving up on the rational defense of the Christian faith, people are saying, let's also look at the questions of the heart. Let's look at how Christianity answers some of those deep questions about why am I here? Do I really matter to anybody? And I think that being able to engage those questions is really important. Also, 
the importance of telling stories, biblical stories or your own story. Here is how I discovered my faith. Here's the difference it made to me. Maybe this could be your story as well. So there's a lot more we can do. Last question I would say, you know, you put out a lot of work, you know, between you know, your books you're writing, your teaching and your speaking. What is your, what is kind of your, if you're talking to folks who are writers or who are speakers or pastors, what is, what is your, your secret, your method that enables you to be so productive? I actually like writing. Uh, I know it sounds stupid, mm-hmm. but it it, 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 it relaxes me. I, I enjoy it. It's it, it really something I enjoy doing. But I think what, what I keep saying to myself is, look, maybe what you're doing is going to help somebody. See that as the payload. You know, I am writing not a kind of vanity exercise, but because I think I might be able to help people. And that certainly is a very powerful motivation to keep going. And I, I do enjoy writing, but I enjoy writing even more when I know I've seen something that could be helpful and I want others to see this as well. That's great. That's that's great inspiration. I, I enjoy writing myself and it's cool to hear people say, someone like yourself say that, that you really enjoy it. But well, I want to thank you for your ministry and for the work that you have done uh, for the church. And I want to encourage folks who are listening to get this really excellent new book. It's called Born uh, to Wonder. It explores the deepest questions. Why are we here? Why does it matter? If you are someone who's listening, who's having those questions, or if you have a friend or someone that has those questions, it's a good book to get. And I really want to encourage you to check out Alistair McGrath's work, whether it's his biographical work or history or systematic theology. It's a great resource. Thank you for joining us today, and thank you for the work you're doing for the church. And it's been a pleasure being with you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words, and you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com. Thank you for listening again to The Way Home Podcast. This is a production of the National Religious Broadcasters.